You're listening to a sermon by New Hill Church. We pray this message helps you put Jesus into perspective. If you have any questions about this message or a relationship with Jesus, email us at engage at newhilloh.com. All right, church, you can be seated. Hey, elementary kids, don't sit down. Can you guys say climbers? Climbers. climbers. You guys are dismissed to your climbers class. You can go to Miss Aubrey back by the door and she'll take you down to the climbers class. You guys have fun. Good luck to anybody who uh, volunteers to read the text this morning. Um, you guys will know what I mean when you get down there. And church, you'll know what I mean when we turn to Nehemiah 3 this morning. Good morning, church. Good morning. As always, it's great to be back with you all, back to, to worship here in the Moose Lodge. I'm just grateful that the Lord has given us a place to be able to worship freely here, publicly. Um, to declare God's Word, declare His power over all creation. So church, we're continuing in our series, Resurgence. We're going through the book of Nehemiah. Resurgence is, is like this revival. We, we talked at the, the beginning of this book. We looked at how Nehemiah, he gets this report about how the walls of Jerusalem are still broken down. The gates are still on fire. They're just destroyed by fire. Um, Nehemiah is just broken by this. We've talked about how we too are broken by the brokenness around us. Amen, church? We saw Nehemiah's prayer to God, the God who has the power to fix the brokenness, the spiritually broken, the hopeless. Those who have no rest were tired. We find it in God. So Nehemiah, he turns in prayer to our Father. He laments, he weeps, he cries, he asks for help, he confesses to God. The Nehemiah leverages his position for the Gospel. He tells the king who he is cupbearer to, King Artaxerxes, he, he tells him, he says, hey, look, my, my father's graves, they lie in ruins, the city is just destroyed. king gives him the opportunity to go. Nehemiah, last week we looked at Nehemiah returning and inspecting the walls himself. How we too should be assessing the damage, the, the spiritual damage of those around us, but starting with ourselves. What, what has broken us? What has hurt us? Why are our spiritual walls down? Why don't we worship God in spirit and in truth the way we are called to do? You see, this is a clear reflection because Nehemiah is not setting out on a, a political campaign to build a wall to simply just have some kind of protection. He's pushing for this wall so that the temple and God's people could be protected in their worship. See, a lot of God's people lived on the outside of Jerusalem's walls. It wasn't about protecting their homes necessarily. It was about protecting the place in which we worship. And church, today we worship in spirit and in truth, meaning you can worship anywhere in the world. You don't have to be gathered two or three among you. You can worship the Creator of all things, wherever you stand, wherever you breathe, with the very breath that proceeds from our lungs, we can breathe praise to our Almighty God. Nehemiah here, church, turns in Nehemiah 3. You guys can go ahead and turn there. And we, we get this record of exactly what went down. And I, I love... Love expository preaching. You guys know that. Verse by verse, book by book. All of us pastors say that until we come to Nehemiah 3's with all these names. I met a pastor. Um, this gentleman just came up to Chippewa Lake. There's a Southern Baptist church that we should be in, in prayer for. Um, just praying for our brothers and sisters who are um, on the mission field, even working in and around our own very area. And uh, I was able to, to link up with this, this gentleman yesterday, this new pastor of this church down in Chippewa Lake. And he was telling me about his kids. He's got a nine-year-old son and a 10-year-old daughter. And I was like, that's really cool. And I'm helping him move this piece of furniture. And I go to the house and his son pops out. And he had told me that his son asked him to read Nehemiah with him. Right? This nine-year-old boy went up to his dad. He's like, dad, can we read Nehemiah together? I'm like, that's really cool. So I see this nine-year-old. I'm like, hey, buddy, I hear you, you asked your dad to read Nehemiah with you. And his face, he just kind of like blushed. He's like, yeah. Out of nowhere, he looked me dead in the eyes. He said, that's the one with all those names. And I was, like, I was like, you're right, buddy. Do you want to come read that for me tomorrow? And he's like, I don't read. And I'm like, me either. So we're actually going to read God's Word together uh, this morning. Bear with me. We are not theologians. 
here. We're not um, scholars. We're not, I'm not a seminary professor, um, but please bear with me. It's 32 verses. Bear with me on that, and then bear with me on the pronunciation of these names, or lack thereof. Then Elisha, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and uh, they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to them, the men of Jericho built. Next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshalem, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joida, the son of Pasea, and Meshalem, the son of Besodea, um, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jaden, the Maranoathite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Herahiah, uh, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Church, you all with me? Yes. Hold on. Next to them, Raphaia, son of Hur, uh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem repaired. Next to them, Judea, the son of Haramath. Next to them, uh, or repaired opposite his house, and next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaneah, repaired. Um, Malachijah, the son of Haram, the Hashab, the son of Pehath Moab, repaired another section of the tower and the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malachijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of um, Beth, repaired uh, the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kol, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah and of the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the king or the city of David. After him, Nehemiah the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Bethzer, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired, Raam, the son of Bani. Next to him, um, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Kela, repaired for his district. After him, the brothers repaired, Bavai, the son of Hinadad, ruler of the district of Kela. Next to him, Azer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite um, the accent to the... Um, the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After uh, the barrack, the son of Zabiah repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priest, the men of the surrounding areas, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maaseah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. We're in the home structure. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After Zadok, the son of Emmer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemamiah, the son of um, Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, uh, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite, of, opposite the muster gate. 
and to the upper chamber of the corner, and between the upper chamber of the corner and to the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants repaired. God's word this morning. I will one day die knowing that I said that. I'm not ever saying it again. That's God's word. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I'm, I'm thankful that, that we get a list of, of people. God, and as we see that, I pray that we would see the faithfulness of your people. God, that, that these men um, with names we'll never name our children, God, that they, they were faithful to the work that you were calling them to do then and there, God. And I pray right now we would see the importance of coming together that we would see that the kingdom work is communal work, God, and that we would see our call and our place in this mission field here in Medina. God, that we together would, would rise up and begin to build these spiritual walls that have been torn down for only you know how long. God, and I pray right now that we would begin seeing the walls within ourselves that are broken down, that we would build them up. Not that we would, we would have walls to keep people out, but that we would have Walls that are spiritually strong and sound in Your Word. God, we love You and praise You and ask that You would move in a mighty way this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. I don't love expository preaching because it's expository preaching. I love expository preaching because it it leans into God's Word. And I've been contemplating all week, are we really going to read all of that? Actually, uh, I told Matt and Carrie, I said, in our Monday group, I said, read up, we're going to be in um, Nehemiah 3. And then Matt and Carrie uh, let us know yesterday that we can't be there. I think they were afraid I was going to ask them uh, to read that out loud. But church, we, we stick to God's Word, and it, it's so important because when you look, if you, if you ever study this passage alone, and you'll see that it, it's been taught that this is a public record that, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was put into this part of Nehemiah. And it's very, very crucial that we, we see this, this main point this morning, and that's that kingdom work is communal work. So we all understand that we're called to kingdom work, right? We're called to go on the Great Commission to, as we are going, to go and make disciples that will make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age, right? Jesus, that's red letters it's from Jesus. But what we have to understand is this commission was for us individually and us collectively. That when and where we are, we would be willing to share the gospel. We'd be willing to be bold and stand firm in our faith. But church, you are not called to do it alone. Now that's an encouragement. Amen if you're encouraged by that this morning. That you are not called to do that alone. I don't like projects by myself. I don't like doing things alone. It just It's not fun. I feel like even, even like the things that like I'm good at, like I just enjoy doing it with someone else. Like I like playing guitar. I don't really like playing guitar by myself all that often. I get so bored playing the guitar now, I will throw up YouTube like a live concert of like John Mayer and just jam out to it. Because I'm like, you know, me and John Mayer and like the rest of the trio, we're like best friends, right? They would never know who I am, but like I need like some kind of like community within, you know, whatever I'm doing. So notice, Nehemiah assessed the damage, and he came up with a plan before, at the end of chapter 2. He came up with a plan. He said, look, let us rebuild these walls that we no longer suffer derision. Come, let us build. He had seen the damage. He came up with a plan. But when the work needed to be done, the community played a key role. We see several repeat names here in Nehemiah 3. right? see several people doing several different things. But what you don't see is nobody except for um, the losers that wouldn't stoop to serve their Lord, if you see in verse 5. This is very, very important. right? These are the only people that were just not going to stoop to serve their Lord. Are we going to stand in front of God and say, I don't need to serve you? No, we've all been called to do this. Some are picking up a little bit more of the slack based on their ability based on their gifting, based on their calling, based on their passion, based on their time. Some of us are like, I don't have enough time to do anything anymore. And I'm like, amen. Give a little bit of this time just to praise your Lord and your Savior. And when time gives way to you, right, when you get a little bit more, then you can do a little bit more. But do a little bit of something. That's what we see. 
Jared, if you could, go ahead and pull up that map. Another thing you're going to notice is, is the work. This is, so this is Jerusalem. Can you guys see? Okay. Um, Don uh, said it looked like a steak earlier, so I don't mean to, to tempt you guys. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Um, it looks like a deflated football, too, I guess, if, uh, if that helps. So that's, that's my Super Bowl uh, Sunday illustration. So they start the work up here, and you can, you can actually see it, where they start the work. They're at the, the sheep gate. It'd be up in this area of the wall. So you see the walls. They go all the way around. There were broad walls that were torn down as well that they didn't even get to. They were like, hey, we need to focus in on, on getting this part done. So they start the sheep gate here, and they, they actually work counterclockwise. And then the dung gate would have been down here, and down here would have been Gehenna. Can you guys say Gehenna? Remember? Yep. That's hell on earth. And then we have all the way up and around. So they worked in different pieces. And what you'll see is these are little houses. These are merchant shops. These are the temple is, is up in, in, in this section. So what we're seeing is it's not, not all that crazy. Right? If, we, if we were here and we're like, hey, all the churches are going to get together and work on this wall. But could you imagine if I sat there and I said, hey, Adam, Tony, you two got to go build that whole wall. would be like, no. <laughs> Negative, brother. Love you, love the Lord. Me and Tony alone are not going to do that. That's what you'd say, Adam. I assume. <laughs> you might be one of those, those guys who just loves to, to build things. But that is a massive project for any one person to take on. Taking the gospel to the ends of the earth is a huge project. It is a huge task at hand that we are not called to do alone. So the three points I want to look at to drive home our main point of kingdom work is communal work is partnership, proximity, and passion. Partnership, proximity, and passion. First off, partnership. This this one is, is key in the beginning. Um, to look at in today's text, that we understand that we have a great mission to accomplish, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem here, right? We understand that's exactly what they have to do, is is rebuild these walls, and you all saw the picture there of the stake-looking Jerusalem. This isn't a simple clean the gutters, paint the walls, mop the floors kind of deal. This is rebuilding a city's walls. They're called to rebuild these walls. Partnership is two or more people working together toward a common goal. So my question, church, is because all Scripture is relevant, what is our common goal today? What is our common goal today? You don't have to say it out loud. Be thinking. Our goal today is to make disciples. Our goal is to take the gospel to the spiritually dead to see them come alive in Christ and to go out and to do the same thing. Church, we gather to go back out. We we come here for a resurgence, for a recharge, for a revival to go out on mission. That's what we're called to do. So our goal to make disciples, taking the gospel to, to the spiritually dead to see them come alive in Christ. Kingdom work is communal work. When Aubrey and I got married, I thought everything fell onto her plate. I had this idea that, that I expected to go to work, to do my job, and to come home and rest. Come on, men. Can I get an amen? All of us that fell into this trap the world has, has sold us. That was my screwed up view. See, marriage is this partnership. A covenant binding us to this work. And that's what it is, church. It's work. It is something that we are continually working on ourselves and each other, the two becoming one. But the common goal is what we aim for. And then we, church, being the bride of Christ, are also called to work together in our relationship to God and to one another. And the mission in which we've been given to make disciples. You see, you read about this family and that family, this people and that people here in Nehemiah 3. See, Nehemiah is leading the charge, but he's not the one doing everything. Actually, if you read, the Nehemiah named in Nehemiah 3 is not our Nehemiah. Different Nehemiah. 
I'm sure Nehemiah loved this guy. He's like, hey, this is my little apprentice, right? When I die and move on, we're going to raise up this Nehemiah. But it wasn't our Nehemiah. What was this Nehemiah doing? He was overseeing the entire project. He was facilitating the communal work for the kingdom. I helped um, Tony Lissetto is a church planter up in Cleveland. And Tony is the only guy I've ever met that went seven weeks straight of mission teams. I mean, it's crazy. It's absurd. And they would paint houses. They would restore homes there in the old Brooklyn area. And it absolutely blew my mind. But I remember like the first day, I was like, we're just dropping off paint. Like These kids are doing all the work. And he's like, you think you're not doing work. Then the next day, he's like, hey, I need you to go check in on all those people. Like all the kids at each project location. Make sure that they have paint. Make sure that they have water. Make sure they have all the supplies they, they need. Make sure that you're praying for them. And I'm like, all right. Started on Monday. By Tuesday, I was dead. And they were there till Thursday. I was like, this is crazy to oversee. So everybody, Nehemiah also is playing a part, but Nehemiah is leading the charge and overseeing because in verse 18 of chapter 2, if you've got your Bible or ESV scripture journal, you can look there. It won't be on the screen. In verse 18, it says, let us rise up and build. Because Nehemiah, he says, I told them the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me and they said, let us rise up and build so they strengthened their hands for the good work. It wasn't just Nehemiah just catching this vision from God saying we need to rebuild the walls so that the people of God can worship the one true God. It wasn't just Nehemiah's thing to go and do on his own. And the people heard the call and responded in partnership together to accomplish this work. Literally, you, you look at all of these different people. You look at, there's several verses where it says um, the, the um, people of even Jericho. Jericho is like outside of the walls. And they still came in. They, they traveled in to take care of the place in which they were called to worship. So they understood that even if they didn't live within the proximity, which we'll get to, that they, they needed to be partnering together for the gospel. And that's why we partner with the, the folks in Benin. That's why we focus on partnering with the IMB, the Southern Baptist Convention in general, North American Mission Board, the cooperative program, because we understand that here in Medina alone, we can't really reach the nations, but because of the Southern Baptist Convention and the, the giving and other conventions and other places have their own way of giving to these resources. We're not the only one, but the SBC does a great job of reaching the ends of the earth from Medina, Ohio. Church, we play a part in that. We are called to, to partner together in the mission and the task that God has given us. See, if our goal is to see lost people saved, disciples made, and God's kingdom advance, we cannot do it on our own. I mean, look at that lengthy list of, of names. And it says, they and their people, the sons of, and, and um, this group of people. So it's not just one person that they're naming, it's them and their people. It mentions a man and his daughters did the work, right? Look, if we ever have to rebuild walls around here, all I got's daughters. They're going to be helping. Don't worry. I'll be that guy. But everybody's pitching in. Everybody's partnering. Again, except for the few that we see, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord as if they were higher than. Now remember, you even look at, at the very beginning of this. Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brother. The high priest! I've seen, seen guys who, who want to plant churches. They aspire to become pastors and, and plant churches because church planting just looks so sexy when we're, we're going and we're meeting in movie theaters. We're meeting in Moose Lodges. We can say that we have a bar. Like, oh, how cool that is that we, we have a bar and our space of worship. Church planting is just so cool. But then when it's 11.15 and the pastor says, amen, go put Jesus in the perspective, they are gone. Even on the weeks when things need torn down, they don't stack chairs. If you don't stack chairs, you don't plant churches. You don't. So these nobles in verse 5 didn't want to stoop to serve the Lord, but look at the high priest setting the example that we together, church, are to partner together for the gospel for the sake of seeing souls 
saved, for the sake of seeing people have a space to worship God freely. That is our goal, and we have to partner, and no one is above it. It's like Gary was, was talking, Pastor Gary was talking to me about outreach, and he's like, man, you don't need to, to be at First Friday. And I was like, I love being at First Friday. And I, and I don't think I'm better than anybody. There's probably an area I know that you guys have like, we've pinpointed it, we know where you stink, Michael, and it's okay because you do a couple other things and we'll just fill the gap. But I, I, I tell Gary, like, I love the grunt work. Right? I, love, like, I just love it. Just something like I feel like God's put on me. Like, I don't know if I keep holding our baby. Like, if she doesn't let us put her down, I may not be able to help out much longer. But I love doing the grunt work. We have to set the example, each and every person, and it doesn't matter your position, we partner for the gospel. First, we, we need God. He's our everything, and He's the only one able to save, period. He's the one working in someone's heart. We're the ones working in their ears and into their brain. But there has to be something that transfers from the brain to the heart to the hands where we see life change that only comes from God. Second, church, we need each other. Not only were we made to not do life alone, we weren't called to do mission alone. Look at um, Philippians 4, 14 and 15. You guys can just write this down and read it later. But Paul talks about this. He says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the Gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Paul here is speaking about the difficulties of living a life on mission and turns to show his gratitude to the folks in Philippi. Why? Because of their partnership. Because they partnered with him in the Gospel. Paul was able to not worry about materialistic things or what he was going to eat, what he was going to do. They, they supplied to his needs. They partnered with him in the gospel and church. It is by the blood of Jesus we are able to have redemption and eternal life. And it is because of our redemption in Jesus that we are bound to one another in love and on mission. See, Paul recognizes that the task at hand isn't too big for God, but Paul could use the help. That's why I said we need God and we need each other. Because, church, we can all gather, but if we don't have God, we have nothing. And if we don't have one another, we end up in a very, very sad and dark, cold place. Because I guarantee you, when you start sharing the Gospel and people start throwing out their baggage and everything that they're dealing with in life, your life may be okay, but when you start carrying the burdens of other people, it will not. You're called to do this together. Partnerships isn't always being the one running, but it's the one doing something. Like any business, sports team, organization, restaurant, cook team, whatever, there are many people working toward one goal. As 1 Corinthians 12 talks about, Paul says, don't be mad if you're the foot and you wish that you were the hand because the hand is useless without the foot because it can't even get where it needs to go. Vice versa. It, it can't grab anything if it's just the foot. So you need the hand. Each part of us is a part of this body. We must partner together because the whole point is that we cannot operate at 100% efficiency without 100% participation. We can have 100 people as members. One's gone. And we are not operating at our fullest. That's why each and every person in the church matters. This is a gospel partnership church and we will not see true resurgence if we do not see personal transformation which leads to missional participation couple questions. How have you been involved in the Great Commission work? How have you been involved in the Great Commission work of going and making disciples? When's the last time you shared the gospel? When's the last time you served here at the church? Now I can tell you something. Our leaders get together often and like I would love to just like clap. You guys do so amazing. Like I don't want to like clap all the time here. I clap enough during worship offbeat most of the time. But you guys, you do an awesome job, but we have to continue to reevaluate. And, and maybe some of you here are like, no, I, I haven't done a great job. Maybe, maybe you know that within your heart. Maybe, maybe we are blinded because we love you guys so much, and there's some areas that you know within yourself that you could do better. What are we doing to help push back the darkness in Medina? What are we doing? How are we partnering together? See, you don't have to be at every outreach event. You don't have to plan every outreach event. You don't have to plan any outreach event. 
But how are we coming together, partnering to push back the darkness in Medina? And who are you going on mission with? See, a lot of times, what we do is we'll, we'll tell people, yeah, I'm sharing the gospel. Like, all right, cool. Like, and you never want to ask, like, do you have proof? Do you have an alibi? Like, do you have, like some, someone was with you that can confirm that you shared the gospel with this person at this time. But one, it's great accountability. And two, you're making a disciple when they see you share the gospel with someone else also. I love taking younger Christians to go with me when I'm engaging with someone, whether it be at a coffee shop, at a, a lounge around, like whatever, wherever it might be, in the Moose Lodge, wherever we are, so that they can see that I do engage with people, but then they're encouraged to see how easy it is to engage with people and to begin working together, partnering for the gospel. But a big problem for most of us is that we become overwhelmed because we feel like we have to do it all. We get this feeling because we're, we're the grinders, right? We're the only ones doing anything, and I have to do it all, so if I'm going to do it, I have to do everything. Or on the other side, the flip side of it is it's, it's discouraging to be on mission because we don't see anything getting done because we expect our brothers and sisters to be doing everything for us. Like the view I had of uh, my marriage with Aubrey when we first got married. You've got to do everything. And then you see dishes piling up. You see things not getting done because she's just trying to keep her head above water. And I realize that I haven't been on board at all this entire time. I'm part of the water that's drowning her. See, a lot of times we fall into one of those two categories. I can keep going on and on about this, but church, it's time to partner together for the sake of the gospel. And as we partner together, we begin to rebuild things within our proximity. Second point, second supporting point, proximity. See, when you break down exactly what is being worked on and who is working on it, you'll notice the close proximity between the projects and the people's home or workspace. Jared, can you throw that map back up? So I, I didn't get like the, the drawn-out version, but what you'll see is uh, the people who were working on the sheep gate uh, lived in or worked here, okay? We see this? They're working here, working on this part of the gate, living or working here. Working on this part of the gate, they live or work here, okay? So they're not traveling from down here. You know like what that would look like if you're like, hey, I'm going to have you from down here go up here. I'm going to have you from here go down here. You go over here. You go down here. It doesn't make any sense. It's chaos. So church, we work within our proximity. We, we partner together within our proximity. And that's exactly what's going on. When we first bought our home, Aubrey and I bought our first home two and a half years ago. And I remember my neighbor being outside. I just like, wanted to get to meet my neighbor. The first conversation I had with her walked up to like, kind of like the property line. We were talking. It was just a normal conversation. And all that was on my mind, and I looked her dead in the eyes, I said, where do I have to cut the grass next summer? I need to know like, where I need to work within like, my proximity. And it's not, it's not like I need to build a wall so I can't see you or your house. I want to know what I need to get done. And if you want me to mow over, like if that's been like a tradition that's gone on, I'll mow your couple strips. That's fine. I'm not trying to be petty, but I need to know that way like when you're looking at me and you're like, I mowed my yard and you didn't mow yours. And I'm like, I didn't know I was supposed to go to that line, right? I had no idea. It was like the first conversation. I don't know if you guys had the same experience, but that's something with my dad. I remember him and our neighbors always like making sure that they had the line figured out. If a new neighbor moved in, they figured it out. Something we just do. It's a Meadows thing, I guess. We're broken. Broken, useless West Virginians. We are us Meadows folk. Um, I don't know why I talk like that. <laughs> Apparently my dad does. So, what we often try and do, church, with God's mission is, is go way beyond our reach or our proximity. You see, how many times have, have people maybe gone on mission trips and share the gospel numerous of times only to come home and remain silent? You see, they're not moving around that map. They're working within their proximity, within their reach. And yes, we're talking about a wall here, but church, we're talking about spiritual revival within our own self. That's what this series is focused on. That's what Nehemiah is focused on. This, this wall is, is very literal, but it's very metaphorical to what was going on and the fact that they weren't worshiping God at all. He's trying to build that space for them to be able to worship Him. 
See, we, we go on these trips. Well, some of you might even end up going to Benin. And I wouldn't be surprised because what happens is you go to Benin, you, maybe uh, Pastor John will take you. He'll probably come back and be like, they would not shut up. They were just talking and talking and talking. The translator couldn't even keep up with them. And then come back home and we sit down. They need the gospel over there more than they do in Medina. No. No, we are called, church, to work within our proximity because proximity matters. We talked a few weeks ago about the importance of leveraging your position for the gospel. The only people you're going to be able to leverage your position for the gospel are those that you have a position with to even leverage in the first place. Those within your proximity are the ones within your spiritual reach, the ones that you have influence over. Acts um, 2.42-47 says this, and you guys have heard it numerous times. Um, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 4, verses 32 through 37, I won't read, but it talks about the same thing. They had everything in common. Acts 5 goes on. There were a few people that didn't have anything in common and were doing wrong things and um, ended up dead. Um, but we, church, are called to look like this. I don't mean that you have to be a part of a group every day. Right? Some of your old jaws dropped like, we only have like three groups you know, a week. We're not telling you to go to all of them. That's not what it means. But we too should be working within our proximity, caring to those around us, caring to the walls that have been torn down around us, within our own self, within our neighbors' homes. Like why are our neighbors, why aren't they worshiping Yahweh? Why are they not worshiping Jesus as their Lord? Do we know? Do we know? Do we understand why, what walls that they've, they, maybe they've put up like walls like to keep you out from seeing the spiritual walls that are broken behind them? When we, the church, do as God has called, do you know who benefits? When we live as Jesus has called us to live, who benefits? The community. When we faithfully give and serve here at church or outreach, do we know who benefits? Medina. If we go and do something uh, down in, in Seville or Lodi, if we do an outreach event there, who benefits? Lodi, Seville, right? Wherever, wherever we take God's people, the world benefits. They experience the goodness of God. We talked about um, this kind of in our podcast that will be posted tomorrow. I would love for you guys to check it out. But we had um, Jeremy Dubois um, as a special guest on our podcast this week. And Jeremy mentioned an article that brought up that roughly $1 trillion is annually given to Christian organizations that go into pregnancy care, education, adoption, foster agencies, etc. Right? $1 trillion. $1 trillion. Who benefits from that? Only Christians? No. The world. So when we work within our proximity, when, when, church, when we, the church, go out to be the church, Medina experiences the goodness of God and they reap the benefits of, of what's going on around them. They still need Jesus, but they experience His goodness. The world benefits from this. Us too, but by being faithful and partnering together, serving our community, reaching those within our proximity, we begin to see people experience the goodness of God. They may not acknowledge it, they may not love it or accept it, but they feel it. And that's good. See, why is it good that we intentionally work within our proximity? Church, I get it. This is super practical message for you all this morning. You Read those names again. That's fine. You're going to see all of this, what exactly is going on. Get an ESV study Bible. Go, go buy a commentary and you're going to see all of these things. The, the strategy that the kingdom work is communal work, that, that Nehemiah was not confused when he told certain people to work on certain parts of 
the gate and of the wall and rebuilding this and doing this together. For them, if there would have been an attack, literally a war breaking out, maybe Sanballat was about to come in and wreck some havoc. Where's the first place you run if a war broke out here in Madonna? Home. Some of you all have been given the invitation to go to Pastor Gary's house because he's hoarding up some, some stuff. We'll delete that from the podcast so the zombies don't find out, right, Gary? <laughs> but literally, we run home because home is naturally the place that we want to go to protect ourselves, to protect our homeland, right? Literally, my little property line on Medina, Ohio, my neighbor's lawn can get wrecked, but I'm going to protect mine first, right? That's our mindset. That's what we do. So it's natural to see what's going on here. Our proximity of care slowly extends to those on the fringe, then further out, and so on. Naturally, something was going on and the fact that they were providing to the needs of each other and accomplishing, right? They were, they were helping each other out with coming up with supplies and helping meet the needs, no doubt. But notice, and even study up on this, to see that the people working on the walls relatively close to where they lived or worked. Verse 1. I keep going to verse 1 because it's just easy without like jumping down um, through all of this. But the same, it's just reoccurring with each person that worked on the wall. But then Elisha the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. So it starts out with the priests. Why would they work on the sheep gate? Because it was directly related to them in work or relative and distance in which it affected them. What was the sheep gate? So what am I getting at? What was the sheep gate? The sheep gate was the place which animals used for sacrifice were brought through, thus affecting the people's worship, thus affecting the priest's job. Are you all with me, church? Amen. Thanks, Adam. That's exactly what's going on. You see that what they are working on direct, is directly related to them, directly affects them. They are working within their proximity, not only physically, but with what they actually do. Like Not just geographically, right? That it's close and distance, proximity. But that the priests are working on the gate specifically that affects the worship of the people which they are called to oversee. Verse 28. Nehemiah 3, verse 28. Above the um, horse gate, the priest repaired each one opposite his own house. The priests are just easy, like pastors were just easy to like, keep making the connection, right? But above the horse gate, it says in verse 28, the priest repaired each one opposite of his own house. So not only are they working around their workspace, but they are working on the gate and the wall in front of their very own home. The priests are picking up some of the slack, right? They're doing a little extra work. And you'll read near the end of, um, end of chapter 3 where the merchants came together and rebuilt the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, um, which was in connection with the marketplace where things were sold. Merchants. So my challenge, church, to us in this point is how are you beginning the work to rebuild your community? Our community, church, how are we partnering together, but then how are we beginning to rebuild it by working within our proximity? And that starts within yourself. How are you building up your spiritual walls that you would remain strong in the Lord? You see, these walls aren't to keep people out that I'm talking about, but to strengthen your very own self from the spiritual war that wages within. There is a war. And if you don't know Jesus, that war is yet to be decided for you. you. You still need to come to know Christ as God over your life to confess your sins. But there's a, a war, a battle continually going on. But if you don't know Jesus, it's for your soul. How are we building up the spiritual walls in our community? And how are we contributing to our church family? as we aim to do the same thing for one another? How are we taking care of, of our brothers and sisters in different corners of Medina to help them to reach their neighbors and their neighborhoods? You see, this is what summer chills are all about. It's not to just drop Bible studies. 
is to take the opportunity to invite our neighbors into the church. And I don't mean the walls of our church, but the actual church, us, God's people. People provide supplies. Literally, that you know, someone will come up with the main dish, someone will come up with sides, someone brings games. But then we come in and we invade your neighborhood. We have a good time, and you invite your neighbors in so that we can begin to help you partner in the gospel. We partner with you and reach those within your proximity. We partner, we work within our proximity, and we serve where we are passionate. Supporting point number three, passion. Church, it's, it's easy. And this point is so important to hear, especially in a church plant, because we should, and most do, fill in in the areas where we don't love or have a passion for because we understand the necessity for the sake of the Gospel to fill that position, to serve for the Kingdom. However, it is top priority for all your pastors. Pastor Michael, me, Pastor John, Pastor Gary, Pastor Simon, we talk about this. It's, it's to see how we can put you in places where you are passionate so that we can set you up for success. And this is, again, something you can so clearly see within Nehemiah 3, what these people were working on, and it won't take long to figure out that they were passionate about it. It's not like a 9-to-5 job for them where they, they just can't stand it and they just want to go home and watch the Super Bowl. Right? Those things weren't going on. They didn't have the Super Bowl. They had God and they were focused on God and, and they, they worked hard and they were passionate about what they did. So let me tell you this, church. What are you, let me ask you, what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about seeing the next generation raised up knowing Jesus is God? And then the follow up are you serving with our kids? Are you, are you helping with the older kids? Right? Are you interested in, in seeing a teen group started? Look, we, we don't start things here by just saying, we'd love to see teens come to know the Lord. Hope someone will fill the spot. Hey, Pat, would you like to do that? No! We want to know, church, what you are passionate about because we want to set you up for success. And then we want to rally around you. We want to partner with you in that ministry. Because you, church, are each and every person is called to be a minister. To call, and you are called to do the work of ministry. Ephesians 4 tells uh, myself, John, Gary, and Simon that we are to equip you for the work of ministry. And to begin this equipping, I want to know what you're passionate about. Michelle, you're going to get put on the spotlight. Michelle has a, a heart for um, the elderly. I'll just go ahead and throw Simon out too. Simon does too, so I think Simon should link up with uh, Polished Prayer and help out some Saturday. I think that'd be great. But what Michelle did was she started her own ministry. I didn't start that. John didn't start that. No one else here. Michelle had a passion. She started talking to um, her sister-in-laws, which Chris and Aubrey, and they, and they were talking about these things, and maybe she talked to other people. She's like, let's do it. And Aubrey said, is there anything the church can do? I was like, yes! We want to partner with her so that she can work within her proximity because she's passionate about it. We do have to pick up the slack when things are slacking. The church. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about having different gifts. It is no surprise that you were gifted in the areas that you were passionate I was garbage at football. Guess who quit playing football? Me. I wasn't passionate about it. So how can we serve you as you go to serve the world? Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. You read Nehemiah 3, and I, I just encourage you guys to just click play on your, in your car ride. Just listen to Nehemiah 3. Don't read it. I get it. Reading those kind of things, it, it becomes confusing when we're looking at names and we don't know them. Just play it. Click the audio and then maybe one day you'll, you'll be able to read it much better than me. It won't take long. Just say it with confidence. what I was always told. But you read that and, and you see very quickly that, that Nehemiah was directing God's people and he was, he was teaching them 
to go out and to be on mission. And you can flip those points, whatever, that you're, you're passionate, right? And you're, you're working within your proximity. You're partnering with one another. Whatever it might be, but, but you are called to go and to do the good work that you've been called to do. And it's not an option. Now, we can take the, the other road, but just like any boss at work is eventually going to catch up with us and talk to us. But I want to encourage you today. How can we, please come up and talk to us after service, how can we better serve you as you go to serve the world and put Jesus into perspective? Church, let's just be in an attitude of prayer as we prepare to worship God through some more song. And I want to reflect on that. I want to think about those, those walls that, that we're beginning to rebuild, whether it be in ourself, within our community, that we would just see the need to partner with one another. What is our proximity? Who are those that, that are within our reach? Who are those, who's your one? that doesn't know Jesus, that you can begin to build the walls up for them to help them care for the spiritual needs in their life. And are you passionate about it? Let me tell you, every Christian should be passionate about the Gospel. Amen? Father, thank You for, for this morning and thank You for Your Word. God, I pray that, pray that we would see just the great call that You've placed on our life to to go and to challenge people, to put Jesus in the perspective, God, to push back this darkness, God, that we would be a light in the world, and, and God, I pray that you would encourage us now, God, that, that maybe we've, we've experienced a little bit of conviction today, amen to that from me, God, you were convicting me, you were showing me areas where I need to, to grow, and I pray that, that as we are all feeling some of those, those needs and those emotions, God, that we would, we would facilitate it towards partnering. God, where we are passionate so that we can reach our proximity, God. And our proximity as a church, as a whole, is Medina and the surrounding areas. And I pray right now that those lost are feeling some of Your goodness right now. God, as they are, some may be hungover, some may be completely sober and still hating Your church, God, that they would be feeling You turning within them to see that they need You. God, and I pray that we would begin to have opportunities to open those doors and to care for people in their needs to put you into perspective. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and ask that you just lead us in this week as we go to do the things we've been called to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.